Welcome to Coffee and an Interview. I'm Jacqueline Pena, and today I'm here with Kawan Glover, who has quite an amazing story to share with us and a recent accomplishment with the publication of his book. So I'm just going to jump in and say welcome to the show, Kawan. How are you? Thank you, Jackie, for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here. And in fact, if it was if I was doing any better, there'd be two of me. <laughs> I love that. I might have to steal that line. I don't know. <laughs> it's so positive. Um, well, thank you. And I wanted to kind of start right away with the fact that you recently published your book. What is the name of your book? So my book is Favor. It's called Favor, How Stroke, Struggle, and Surgery Helped Me Find My Life's Purpose. I actually published it on September 4th, 2020. It's self-published and it talks about my story. Wonderful. And your story is really also why we're here today. You have an amazing story of uh, adversity, overcoming obstacles, survival, finding your purpose. And I thought it was um, a wonderful story. We were chatting about it a little bit and getting ready for this interview. And I thought you could share with us what, what is the story that you're trying to, to tell in your new book? Well, when you look at the book, it details the events that happened in my life, but from a perspective, a narrative perspective, when you think about this book, the message is there's always hope. You know, there are situations that you find that you deal with in life, whether it's in relationships, your business, whether it's in friendships, whether it's in life in general, there are always obstacles, challenges, and struggles you will have to deal with. Uh, This book details my particular struggles and how I had to navigate that, that new frontier in life, being a, a coming of age tale as well. I, it all starts for me at the age of 20. And the things I went through, the, you know, the three brain surgeries, the stroke, the opioid addiction, suicide ideation, depression, anxiety, all that is detailed in the book. But it's also the core message of the book is hope. In a time where things seem dark, uncertain, where there's a lot of division, there's a lot of turmoil, and there's a lot of that also present in your own life. This time, my core message and something you'll get from the book is I am bridging the gap between the darkness and the light at the end of the tunnel. And it's simplified in three words. There's always, always hope. So that's what the book is about. And my story started in 2014 when I was on my way to my mentor's office and he noticed that I was having trouble writing and speaking and he sent me to a doctor. That doctor sent me to the hospital. That hospital did a CAT scan. They sent me to another hospital, did an MRI. And this whole time thinking, I'm not dying. So why are we going through all of this? And they said, you know, the CT scan read, oh, you have something on your brain that shouldn't be there. It's like, okay, why are you telling me this? Are you going to get it out? Then they sent me to that other hospital, uh, GW Hospital in Washington, D.C., and the uh, they said, uh, you have a cavernous malformation on your brainstem. Oh, my God. Okay. What does that mean? You, I, don't, I don't know what that means. So are you going to get it out, or are we just going to stand here looking at each other? And they sent me home for a couple of days, and then I lost, like, I started getting really dizzy, blurry vision. So I came back and they decided to operate. So I had my first brain surgery, August 15th, 2014. And still at that time, being so young, I was 20 years old, it was difficult for me to comprehend what was actually happening. So 
being 20, after the surgery, a week later, I went right back to school. And this time I'm at the University of Maryland. So I guess a week after my first brain surgery, I went right back to school not thinking anything of it. And I was like, yeah, I'm a warrior. I'm invincible. Like I just survived brain surgery. Nobody can do that. And uh, I went on to pay the price in a number of different areas of my life. But that was the first experience with brain trauma. And then I went to rehab because I had a stroke a month after I returned to school. So oh. on September 17, 2014, I had a headache for 13 hours. I couldn't focus in class. Um, I went back to my apartment and I rolled around all night. And I guess in the wee hours in the morning, I got up, I threw up water, I lost some of my vision and my right arm and leg kind of kicked out. So I rolled over, I got my phone, I called the hospital and I called my mom and I was like, I think I'm having a stroke. And I went to the hospital and then the other part of the whole journey began. Oh my goodness. Just that first part of the journey is, is a lot for most of us. So at such a young age, you had brain surgery. Um, I was surprised. I mean, you you were energetic, you were focused, you were like, I'm going to go back to school and you went back to school right away. And then you experienced a stroke. Um, you noticed some of the signs, you realized something was going on and you called for help. Uh, I don't know if everyone would have done that, if other people would have done that and, and that could have cost more damage if you had waited longer. What was your support system during this phase before we got to the, the next part of your journey? What was your support system through the brain surgery, through the stroke, through the recovery? Um, before, you know, the brain surgery it was just my immediate family because we didn't really know what was going on. And then, you know, I went back to school so quickly. So I had my close friends, uh, one of my friends, Erica, she's mentioned in the book, she would be like watching me do stuff and be like, get me to look like, relax, slow down. Um, but, you know, people were really just making sure I was okay, but I wasn't taking anything seriously. I was like, I'm able to do stuff. Like, I don't need anybody's help. And again, I think that's the hubris of youth, thinking that you are in unbreakable, invincible, and can conquer any and everything, and not realizing that going to a school at university, and Maryland is a huge campus, by the way, and I was involved in a lot of different activities, um, that you probably need a couple of months rest, maybe a year's rest to really recover from what had gone on. And they constantly told me, hey, we got most of it, but it's still something there. So, you know, there was still some residue of the, the malformation. And, uh, you know, I just, one of the chapters is called, when you read the book, you're going to want to start paying attention to a chapter called The Bold Print. And essentially, I wasn't listening to the doctors. I believe that's chapter five. And there was it's clear signs that I just was not paying attention. That I wanted to do what I wanted to do regardless of my health, uh, my health condition. So I had my immediate family, friends at the time, but it didn't really, I didn't really get a massive amount of support until the third surgery, but there's a lot that happened in between there. So uh, yeah, I had a really good support system. Okay. That's that. I think that's very important for the recovery process and processing everything. So you had a good support system. You went through brain surgery. You had a stroke a month after you returned to campus. 
what was the next part of your journey like? Yeah, so a month in rehab, mind you, I had run track, I played football, I had boxed at New York City, Maryland. So with the stroke, you I lost a whole side of my body. And being able-bodied your whole life, it's really debilitating and defeating. And it puts you in like this really bad headspace when you're not able to control or be able-bodied as you have been your whole life. So it was a new experience. And my reality was clashing with my expectations in my head, causing a storm and warping my mind and perception of myself. And as a man, you're naturally inclined to feel more prideful about your 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 athletic abilities mm-hmm. and you 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 have a hard time accepting not being able to do things so you know it was just a really a 1a like oh crap like this isn't how I can live anymore like I'm not able to do the things I was able to do so in that time in rehab I went to rehab rehabilitation for a month at MedStar Health in DC and I had a really great team of doctors uh, Dr. Mahocha, she's one of the lead doctors. I still am in contact with her today. And it's just like, I couldn't accept it. And then there was one experience where towards the end of my stay, we had the opportunity as a group to go out into the community and see if we can handle like being around people and stuff again. Mm-hmm. And we were actually at the Martin Luther King Memorial in DC. I went into the gift shop, so there was, I was in line, there was a woman in front of me, and there was a guy in my court in front of her. And one of the tasks for assigned was handling money. And he was having trouble with the transaction, counting coins and things like that. And I heard the lady in front of me just let out this growl, like, Ugh. And I can tell she was getting frustrated or felt inconvenienced by the guy not handling his stuff. And I'm just like, you don't even know what his story is. You don't know what he's been through. You don't know how hard this is for him. You don't know what, what, what's going to happen next for him. And that night, I laid in my bed and was just like, is that the way I would look at the people? Like, when I was able-bodied, is that the way? I just viewed them as others and inconveniences. And that was a big perspective shift. And then after a stroke, I had a new level of humility. But there were still lingering mentally, emotional, physical aspects that I still had to deal with. Mm -hmm. So I went back to school. That was in October when I returned home. And then I went back to school, maybe that spring 15 semester, finished out the semester. But that summer, when you're not doing a lot, you have time to like mentally think about everything that happened and not being a man, not facing it. Mm-hmm. It has no choice but to fester in a dark corner in your mind. So I spent that whole summer, I didn't sleep in my bed. I laid on my couch in my apartment in Courtyards and I watched Sons of Anarchy all seven seasons. And that show was kind of sad. So I was just crying and depressed. And I had a strange experience with a friend, a really close, like a brother to me. And I, I normally lock my apartment door and I was laying on the couch in the dark and he just kind of stumbled in. And I was just like, if my first thought is like, damn, is this the way it ends? Is this the way I go to get robbed in my college apartment? Okay, I guess. And then he came over, he just hugged me and I realized who it was. And he said, you're gonna be all right. And then he just left. And I was just like, 
what 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 does that mean and uh you know th- then I it started things started turning around I got an internship with the summer picked up and I finished that summer on a high note and uh you know I had been going to the doctor to check up and in September I went to my doctor Dr. Jonathan Sherman at GW and he said uh Looking at my brain scans, I know I have normal MRIs. And he's, he'd always say there's something there, but we're not going to do anything about it. It's fine. He came to the office and uh, he kind of, his body was heavy and he looked down and he was just like, I don't know how to tell you this, but uh, your mass is back and it's growing bigger and faster. And my mom instantly broke down. My dad was kind of looking around and something in me kind of jumped out. I don't know if it was my own inner hero or something like that, but I instantly just brought it out, sign me up for next hundred. And everybody was just like, you don't want to think about it? You don't want to wait? And I was like, no, sign me up now. So we picked the date. Mm-hmm. And then um, on, yeah, that was in September. The surgery was October 1st. In between that time, I decided I was done fighting. I didn't want to. I didn't want to fight anymore. I didn't. I, if I didn't wake up, I was okay with that. So I just let it all go. And then I had the last part of this part of the story is a strange dream I had during the surgery. After so, you said I'm good, I'll yeah. give up if nothing works out. Then you have yeah. this dream. And then I have this dream. So in the dream, I, I and before I close my eyes, I'm like, "Hello, Nirvana. Like this is it for me." And then I wake up in the stream state. It's like a white room. So I'm like standing on light, if you will. And I'm like going back to my boxing days. I'm throwing punches. I'm wearing a hoodie and a jeans jacket. And I'm like, wow, everything is working. This is crazy. It's awesome. And then it starts to rain. And then like the rain is like black as my hoodie. And I stick my hand out, but it's not touching me. So I'm like, so it's kind of weird. And then I start to float up. And as I'm floating, I'm losing my human form. And at this point, I'm watching this from two different perspectives. Like I'm watching it happen, like I'm looking at a painter's canvas and I'm watching it point of view. And right before I get to the top, there's like a hand and pushes me back down and everything goes in reverse. And right before I wake up, I heard a voice say, you're not done yet. And then I woke up. So that's that part of the story. Wow, this is a great time to pause because there's more. Your journey, your journey's not over. I get it, um, but just this part of the journey. I mean, this idea of when you go through something that affects you physically or mentally. I thought this amazing lesson about the reality of what you can do, clashing with what's in your head, what you should be able to do, or the memory of what you used to be able to do. I thought that was a very powerful image of you know this clash going on, because a lot of a, a lot of us go through that when we have some kind of physical trauma, or uh, it could be a m- mental trauma of some sort that just changes who we are and how we see things and how we feel we should be and how we really are. That's always clashing as we age. Um, just different, different things in life affect that. And I thought it was a, an interesting image and something to, for us to resolve as humans, that it, it doesn't have to be a clash. It's about how do we transition and how do we resolve that? Um, but you also said some other interesting things. Um, 
One lesson that I found powerful along those lines is not knowing the other person's story about the woman in line who was, you know, grunting or growling. And, and I thought, uh, what a powerful lesson there for all of us. We just, we just don't know what that person in front of us, next to us, behind us in the same room has gone through. We don't know what that person's story is. We don't know what that person is going through that day. It might be a rough day. It might be um, a physical condition that day. I might have a cold or maybe I'm just, uh, I'm having some challenges with something else. Uh, some people are emotionally drained when they get to work because of some personal issues. And we just don't know what that person's story is. And your experience, even though we haven't finished your journey, has taught you so much about that and is already teaching me so much about taking time to think about what that person's story could be. And then there's this whole other piece about um, illness and depression. And you went through that in that summer. And that friend of yours did that one magical thing. I mean, it's not magical, like impossible, but meaning at that right moment when you needed it, he just kind of barged in and gave you a hug. Everything's going to be okay. A lot of us sink into these moments of depression and don't know how to come out of it. But a lot of times other people don't realize we're in that state of depression. And, and just that one little thing was so powerful. If we can all just find some way to find that for ourselves when we find ourselves falling into that pattern of depression. Um, there were just some powerful lessons in the second part of your journey. And then you go into surgery again <laughs> and, and you think, well, you know, I, I thought I got out of this. You know, you saw the, the, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel. Then you have to go back into surgery. You're like, well, here I am getting hit again. Um, here's another issue. And it's almost like, you know what, if it doesn't work out, I'm okay with that. But then you have this moment, this dream, and someone's telling you you're not done yet. So that's the end of the second part of your journey. And then the next part of your journey begins. So tell us about the next part of your journey. Yeah. And before I go there, I think people that are listening, your audience, I just mm -hmm. want to know it's okay not to be okay, but also navigating the world. Just give people a little bit of grace, a little bit of empathy. I think that's lacking in our society today. Just you never know. You really do not ever know what's going on with someone so mm -hmm. uh, they may have a bad day I, th I think it's important to extend a little bit of grace and a little bit of empathy and I think the world will be a better place but next part I wake up from surgery and before that surgery the doctor explained to me and they was going to give me something called a spinal tap mm -hmm. and I was just like in my head again that young arrogance I'm like okay just fix it whatever and when I woke up the spinal tap was attached to my spinal cord and all the nerves in my body, essentially. Because it was attached there, it, start, it was attached to drain the brain fluid. And a lot of people don't realize your brain doesn't ever actually touch your skull. Mm -hmm. It's floating around in a fluid. So when it drains the fluid, my brain is knocking around in my skull. And whenever I move, you know, they measure physical pain usually on a scale from one to 10. It was like the 37 and I, the pain was excruciating any movement any anything I did was painful and they um, in order to counteract that pain I, I was given a medicine called fentanyl mm -hmm. which is an opioid and if you think about heroin it's like heroin on steroids so every hour, you know, they were giving it to me and I was just like, yes, please, yes, please, yes. It, it, it was almost more than a painkiller. It was starting to be euphoric. 
and I was getting like addicted to it. So, you know, at some point it was compressing my chest muscles. I couldn't breathe. So I switched to Percocet. And after five days, they got rid of the spinal tap and I went back home. But they went, I went back home on a medicine called Fearset. And then when I went off that, I experienced my first withdrawal. It felt like I hit by a Mack truck um, when I woke up the next day. So I went back to school after winning off that medicine, stopping the Percocet, stopping the fentanyl, we're at the school in the spring 2016 semester. One day I'm doing my, my, my homework. I'm a finance major at the University of Maryland doing some financial homework. And I'm looking in a drawer for a pen. And in the drawer, there's a prescription for Percocet. I was just like, oh, I just feel this just in case I need it. And then I started abusing the pills and taking the pill bottle everywhere and just popping them whenever I felt like it. And it was... It wasn't a physical dependence. It was an emotional, mental one to separate myself from the pain that lingered, whether it would be physical pain or emotional, mental pain. And um, you find a lot that I learned throughout this. The most difficult battle is not the physical recovery because your mind has the power to overcome any real adversity your body faces or you will adapt to the changes your body has. The, the biggest most difficult battles are the mental and emotional ones. And I think, you know, that semester I really had to figure out who I was again and figure out why I had started using these purposes and taking the cough syrup and mixing everything and just overindulging and everything. And then one day I just realized if I'm going to beat this, I'm going to have to face the pain at some point. So might as well be now. This is no longer serving me. So I dumped the pills and all the medicine in one day oh. and, you know, I made the change, but that was, it was a hard fight coming up because now I had nothing to separate from me, to separate me from what I was feeling inside. So I just, I remember writing a line, a letter to my, my line brothers. I joined a fraternity in 2013. So I wrote a, like a letter um, to my line brothers. I was like, I'm just done. I'm not doing this anymore. Uh, I don't want to, you know, I want to be here. I'm, I'm kind of done. And, you know, within like 10 minutes, someone's kicking my door down. And he's actually one of the first people that's introduced in the book. And it was just like, you know, it was wrong. They called me and talked me through it. So I, he talked me off the ledge again. Back in fall of 2013, one of my brothers, I had decided, even before all this occurred, that I was just going to, this is back in fall of 2013. And I was just like, there were other issues that I faced growing up, whether it's the relationship with my dad or any emotional things that I pressed down as a man, you press a man up. Um, and I just decided I couldn't keep it in anymore. So I decided to walk in front of a car. And one of my brothers, he actually grabbed me and physically saved my life. So he was one of the people that called me. Um, and then it was just a battle to recover myself mentally. Then I got a girlfriend and she encouraged me to go into therapy. So things were starting to turn up and up and up. And then I graduated on May 23rd, or I walked the stage. On May 23rd, 2017, I started working two thousand two days later. So May 25th, 2017. Oh, I so I had the car, I had the girl, I had my own place, had a job. Everything was a-okay. I was going to the gym regularly. Like, it was just... Everything was just great. And then uh, September again. I don't know what it is about me in September, but uh, it's always something in September. 
and I had an MRI. I, I think I had an MRI, and it had come back, and the symptoms were getting worse. You know, I I couldn't. Um, I started losing my vision. There was a hearing loss, a ring in my ear. The side of my face drooped down. I lost about. 60% of my vision in my left eye. I could barely walk. I lost a lot of feeling on the right side of my body. Um, just deteriorating in front of people. And this was hard on my girlfriend, it's hard on my parents. And this is when I got a really big outpouring of, of support. Because I started a GoFundMe campaign and around that time. And in 2017, it's about September, the first two days I raised about $50,000. And then the first week I raised about $75,000. So, you know, I had a, a, I was trending and I was like, oh, wow, this is crazy. Um, so Dr. Sherman, my initial surgeon was like, we've tried two different approaches. You need a specialist. And another doctor recommended somebody in New Jersey, mm -hmm. Dr. James K. Luke. But when I went up there, he didn't take my insurance. So we were on the hunt for the doctor. And then all three, one doctor said, if you don't get something done in 36 months, you're going to die. But fortunately, all three of those doctors met up at a medical conference and decided James K. Lou was the best guy for the job. So uh, he had the surgery. So while time out there, you can read about that in the book. <laughs> and um, I came home right in time for, after going through rehab again, I came home right in time for um, Thanksgiving. So that's that part of the story. Right. So, okay. So the third part of your journey is also intense. There's so much there and so many lessons and so many different times when you had to overcome these incredible obstacles that many of us might not feel we have the strength to overcome. Um, just the, going back to the addiction part uh, and being able to, to admit it, but you were able to flush down the Percocet and make a decision like, Hey, I'm going to face this pain. I'm going to face the emotional, the mental pain, but I'm going to face the physical pain and just ditch these pills and, and this addiction. That was a very difficult decision. How did you find the power to do that and not look back, not try to shove your hand down the toilet and pull the pills out or get another prescription? How did you find that strength to overcome an addiction? And, and, and it says a lot about also our, our access and the, and the way we treat pain and, and what what those um, prescriptions can do to us long-term with the addiction problem, but you said, I'm not gonna do this anymore. I'm not gonna give my power to that anymore. How did you do that? Yeah, I think I'm a naturally decisive and disciplined person. So when I make a decision, sometimes to a fault, I don't look back on it like ever. So like if I decide this is the right way to do it, then that's the decision I made and I do whatever consequences come after it. But also I had to really just dig deep within myself and realize this is no longer serving me. And if I continue down this road, I'm going to end up killing myself. And with, with that thought in mind, I think about, you know, I had a younger sister at the time. I wasn't going to allow her to grow up with a brother that, you know, gave way to his vices through his, his hardship to end his own life. And the book is dedicated to her and one other person in my family. So you know, thinking about that allowed me to really see, push through it. And again, you know, I always say that it's not 
the physical part that's the difficult part because you go through rehabs, you work out. You know, I was already athletic, so that was no problem. But it's really the mental, mental, emotional mm-hmm. part that you really have to dig deep on. And I dig super deep, and I, I I came through. Yeah, and I think that digging deep is what helped you then put your life on the course that you wanted and be able to have the girlfriend finish school, get the job, and then of course, then you get hit with with another. Uh, challenge the next step in your in your life journey, the next leg of the journey, which was uh, the third operation, and then having to go through this process of okay, we've tried different ways. Now we, we need to work with someone else and try something different. But then you're faced with the insurance issue, so healthcare in America and dealing with insurance uh, and being able to afford surgeries. You did an amazing job with the GoFundMe, by the way. That's an amazing feat to be able to raise that kind of cash to go towards helping you with your surgery, but just, it doesn't even cover 15% of the cost of something like this. I think most people don't realize, uh, or maybe they do, how expensive medical treatment is, especially when we're talking about complicated surgery. So that was uh, an amazing feat. And luckily you were able to find someone who could do the surgery for you and help you get through that part of the journey. And then you went through the rehab and went back, kind of came back to everyone in time for Thanksgiving. What an interesting time to be able to come back, a time to give thanks. What do you think about this, uh, th- this cycle of when things happen? You always find out you need surgery in September and here in a time of giving thanks or thinking about that is when you come back. You know, I just feel like there was something or there is something. And now I know what it is that I was supposed to be doing with this journey and a lesson I was supposed to learn that I just wasn't learning. And, you know, just think about the fact that the doctor that wasn't covered by insurance ended up actually doing the procedure. And, you know, how serendipitous it was that all those three doctors with differing opinions came together and decided on that one doctor. And I was able to get, you know, at the end of all this medical stuff, there is also the financial burden. I had a $1.2 million medical debt that set in my, I did a sales spreadsheet and I was just like, after insurance after everything no this insurance hadn't kicked in yet because the doctor was still like not under my insurance so i was just like i just had brain surgery i have no clue i'm gonna make 1.2 million dollars to cover all this and um but something my grandma said and she kind of titled the book she said favor ain't fair it's just favor so we were if you know les brown you know mr the mr butterball story and he said, you know, he went there the first time, tried to get a job, the guy said no. He went there the next day, the guy tried, tried to get a job, the guy said no. Went to the next day and the next day, and then eventually the guy said, go get me some coffee. So what I did, me and my grandma with insurance, was like every day I'm on the phone. Hey, it's Mr. Glover. Go on, Glover. I was just wondering if anything had changed. Every day I was calling. No, Mr. Glover, you just called yesterday. No, Mr. Glover. No, no, no. And then one day I got up and started sitting in. Insurance covered the hospital, insurance covered the doctor, insurance covered these two procedures, and everything started to fall online. And I was able to use the GoFundMe money for rehab and other medical tools and stuff like that. So everything just worked out. And when I started really, you know, that was the last real one of the last hurdles. And I think the final hurdle was after I got home, I sat on my couch and I was just like, what now? Because I spent the last couple of years fighting for my life 
and like you're like a retired boxer or someone who's come home from war, there's no more fighting to do. And if you're a fighter, you don't know how to do anything else with fight. And now you have no fight. So what is your purpose? And then I had to realize, you know, after I, you know, get the medical debt taken care of, I was just like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, why am I still here? And then one day, my, my girlfriend at the time, she dropped me off. And I just got on Facebook Live one day. And I was just, I just started talking. And about my journey and about my story. And I was hoping someone could glean some type of unique experience from that and glean some type of lessons. And then I just started talking and I haven't shut up since. And 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 here you are teaching us still. It's amazing, um, that energy. But I thought that was an interesting way of putting it. You you fight, you fight, you fight, you fight. And when the fight's over and you sit down, it's sort of, okay, now what? And trying to find that purpose. I think for a lot of us, we struggle to find our purpose. And purpose, our purpose will change over time based on our experiences in our lives. But if we don't have a clear idea of our purpose in life at the moment, we don't have that mission to guide us in the decisions we make and what we do and how we do it. So I think it's great that you were able to um, find that purpose so early on, uh, especially after such a difficult journey. A lot of people would have given up. Uh, at the first part of the journey, the second part, the third part, I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, it's definitely impressive to see your perseverance, um, your willingness to fight, and then to be able to use that to um, to find your purpose. Yeah, and again, like you started, when we started talking, it's, it's about the community around you. So the people that rallied around me, your family, friends, loved ones, even strangers donating to the campaign, spreading the word, um, understand that, you know, for the first two surgeries, it's pretty much me and my immediate friends and family for this, for this last one, it felt like the whole world was watching. And um, I didn't understand it at first, but now the GoFundMe actually just shut down on September 30th. So I was like closing the chapter from that whole ordeal. And I'm finally, I think around, you know, I published a book a little while before that. So that is me closing the chapter and you know, as I start to formulate the next couple of books, this is not really the end of my journey because the book ends in May of 2018. There's a lot of time in between that where I faced a number of different other things. And, you know, I, I, I discovered a term called passively suicidal, which is basically when you're actively thinking about your death, but you're not actually trying to kill yourself. Um, trigger warning for anyone who experiences that. But what I had to get rid of was guilt. What I had to realize was it wasn't my fault that this all happened. And that took a lot of embracing gratitude, uh, gaining perspective, learning that there was power in my message and my story. And on um, August 22nd, 2020 was the first time I was able to write my journey that I feel whole. And that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> wow. Um, you just taught me a new term, actually, uh, passively suicidal. And um, for our listeners, I will have a list of resources in the uh, podcast description, the episode description. It'll include your book, a link to your book, but as well as other sources for some of these key terms. And I think um, passively suicidal is one that we, I've, I've never had a real conversation about this concept before. And I think it affects a lot of people in our lives. Um, your story is absolutely amazing. So a lot of 
a lot of the work I do and a lot of the things I'm, I'm discovering is this notion of discovering our strengths. So how can I empower people to discover their strengths? And then how can I also empower them to once they discover that strength to empower others around them? So you pay it forward kind of mentality. And that's exactly what you're doing. You went through so many different ordeals. A lot of them are interrelated in some way. And you kept discovering your strength as a human through all these ordeals. And now you're trying, your purpose is to help others, empower others. And I think it's an amazing example of this idea of discovering our strengths and empowering others to do the same. And I wanted to thank you for, um, for, for being able to, to, to express all of that, for going through that journey and, and coming out the way you did and then being able to turn around and say, you know, my purpose is let me empower others. I have a story that will help others. And I can tell you that just some of the topics we talked about today have really already empowered me. I think I was having a rough day in many ways, emotionally. You know, a lot of times you're thinking, is this too much? Can I do this? Can I do that? And you're reflecting on things. But this conversation has really empowered me in thinking about, okay, this is where you've overcome. This is where you are. This is where you want to go. This is... And this is the journey to get there. And on top of that, here's your purpose. How do you help others? How do you keep empowering others? And um, and you really help remind me of that purpose. Thank you. You're welcome. And just to your audience, I'll say that vulnerability is my superpower. Empathy is my weapon of choice. And my story is my fuel source. So when things seem dark and uncertain and times seem perilous and you don't know what to do, just remember that the darkest night often comes before the brightest morning and your morning is coming. Once you find your superpower, you, you adapt your story and you find your weapon of choice, the sun will rise. I agree. Thank you so much. So what's your superpower, right? That's the question we need to ask people and for ourselves, what is, our, what is my superpower? You'll find it, right? We'll find it. Once that sun rises, we'll find it. We'll get there. Absolutely. Yeah. And do you have any last words of advice or anything else that you might want to share with our listeners that we didn't get a chance to discuss in terms of your journey, your purpose, or advice for us who are just going through so many different things in life? We might be going through things that are similar to what you went through. We have our, we have our own demons and our struggles that might be very different than what you went through. What advice do you have for our listeners um, to help them get to that positive side of the situation? Uh, a couple of smaller things I do, uh, gratitude. So just listening the five things I'm grateful for. If I'm grateful that we're having this conversation. I'm grateful that I'm alive. I'm grateful that I took a breath. I'm grateful that I have a book now. I'm grateful for being able to be independent and control my own life. Gratitude boosts serotonin which is a mood stabilizer. So that helps me keep a constant level of peace and calm. And a lot of things I do three times a day is I root myself in the present moment. So I close my eyes and I say, what can I, what can I feel? What can I smell? What can I hear? What can I feel? And that roots me into the, because when you're thinking about the future too much or thinking about the past too much, that can lead to anxiety or depression. So those are some practical things you can start to add to your routine and just the overall thing about that I'm, I'm really trying to, I really want to solve is victimhood. A lot of people mm. experiencing situations, traumatic situations, and they, in that situation, they were in fact the victim, but you do not have to live in victimhood, which is 
essentially a neighborhood of victims. You don't have to dwell and hark and live in that space. I wanna, I want people to come the victor, the victors of their own story. And that's what I'm doing with my business. That's what I'm doing with my, my book. That's what I'm doing with my story and my message. I want to bring back hope from place of despair. I want to bridge the gap between the dark and the light at the end of the tunnel. There's always hope and there's always a way for you to push forward in your own life. So find out your superpower, find out your why and become the victor in your hero's journey. I love that advice. Um, and I'll list that definitely. It has to even be its own post in our social media so that we can really put our focal lessons on and be able to focus on those uh, tips for success. Uh, one more thing is, you know, this episode will be a crossover episode with Discover Your Strength Book Club podcast, which is coming out in a few months. And the power of story, a story is powerful. It's powerful in the healing process. For the person writing the story, as in your case, it's powerful in helping empower others. Um, what what um, what was the most challenging part of writing your story so that you can use the power of story to heal and help others? And what advice do you have for anyone else in terms of using their own stories for healing? The most difficult part was reliving it like having to put those words on paper, like, oh, just, I don't, when I started it in July of 2018, I was just not in a place where I was able to emotionally handle reliving everything so soon. Um, but then once I was able to get through it, I, I reached a level of the catharsis, like this is, this was therapeutic. And the first draft of the book looks way different than what it is now. Um, I wrote it like a diary. So I wrote everything from my birth, to up until that point. Um, and then I had to restructure it. But the most difficult part was definitely writing that first draft and getting it all out there and understanding what lessons I can learn from my own journey that I hadn't been able to see from living it, uh, actually viewing it from a different point. And, you know, the power of story is like, when you think about your grade school math questions, the word problems, Mm-hmm. If you if you were introduced to numbers and someone said solve two plus two, I don't even know what that means. But if you say Johnny had two apples and Sally had three apples, how many apples are they in total? You can actually see in your mind two red apples, and then you can see three green apples, and you can put those together. And that's what a, the power, the narrative power of a story is so powerful. So if I just told you, yeah, I had three surgeries, I had a stroke, I had some mental health issues, um, probably my book. Like, why? You didn't mm-hmm. tell me anything. But now that I put it this way and you put it into a format that you can glean some type of perspective and you can relate to the issues and the stories. Or sometimes a lot of people also, they believe their story isn't worth anything because it's not tragic. Mm-hmm. Like, I know a guy who survived a rental attack and i know a guy who had trouble tying his shoes and they have incredible stories so it the range very it's just how you tell it and if you can relate to your audience and there's an audience for everyone out there you know my audience will not be your audience and his audience won't be their audience like your story doesn't have to be almost died every time sometimes people don't need that level of heaviness that's not what they need right now so your story is your story. And when you start telling the people that need to hear it or want to hear it, 
will come around. That's a great advice. And, and the idea that uh, our stories are so different, but they're still all powerful. So don't diminish the power of your story just because you're comparing it to someone else's. Our stories are different. They're supposed to be different. And for all of our listeners, what a great message about using the power of story to heal and to help others. And for some of us, it's in the form of writing a book or an article, or maybe it's a blog, or maybe we take other creative forms. We go to the documentary side or to artwork, visual arts. But if we can find a way to tell our story to heal and then tell, and then use that to empower others to do the same. Um, what what an amazing thing we can do with the experiences we went through. Yes, they were terrible. We got, we get through them. We heal through the story, and then we help others uh, with, by empowering them through our story. And that's what Kawan has done with his book, Force. Right? Tell us the full name of the book again, and where we can find your book. Yeah. So the book is called Favor: How Stroke, Struggle, and Surgery Helped Me Find My Life's Purpose. The book is available on Amazon. Uh, in paperback and ebook format. Uh, yeah, you can go on Amazon. I'll send Jackie the links and uh, hope you guys enjoy the read, learn something from it. I'm not really concerned whether you give it to a friend or you get them to purchase. It's not about the money for me. It's about giving people some hope. So go out there and read it and let me know what you think. Thank you. Thank you. And so once again, favor, I know I said force by mistake. I think it's because you're such a great force here today <laughs> of inspiration, but definitely uh, pick up the book, take a good read. If you're looking to tell your story, I hope Kawan has inspired you to use the power of story in your life as well. And Kawan, I just want to say thank you so much for just jumping onto this call and doing this amazing podcast interview and the video that goes with it. I think, again, I got a lot out of it. It was the perfect day for me to have my cup of coffee. It's funny because my mug to this today says make today awesome. That's my mug. And uh, I was having a hard time making today awesome <laughs> this morning. And now I'm leaving this interview really inspired, not just to use my power story, but inspired in terms of how I can deal with different challenges I've been dealing with and how I can deal with challenges that come my way as I keep continuing through life on this journey. So thank you very much, Kwan, for joining us for coffee and an interview. It was an honor and a pleasure to be with you, Jackie. You're such a bright spot on a dark world right now. And I just, I'm just honored to let you, you let me share my story on your platform. And I hope your listeners and everyone out there that listen to this really gain something from it. Uh, I'm grateful for your life and the life of your audience. And I love you all.